This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Between us and Hashem in the month of Elul, preceding Roshani and Kippur, we have to make the first move. I am to my loved one, then my loved one is to me. We have to make the first move in Elul. How are we going to make the first move? How does one make the first move to show Hashem that we love Him? So it's interesting because at the same time, this Pasha always falls out around this time. If you go to war against your enemy, who's the ultimate enemy of a Jew? Who's the ultimate enemy? The Yitzhahara. That's our ultimate energy. The ultimate enemy is the Yitzhahara. You got to take the war to him. If you just sit back and you're like, eh, everything will be okay, it doesn't work. It's a war. The, the, it's a war with the Yitzhahara. You got to make the first moves. You have to make the Gedarim. You have to make the fences. Says the Pasuk, If you will make the first move, if you will go to war on your enemy, guaranteed, God will give him into your hands. When you're going to sit back and like, things will change, it's okay. I don't have to be aggressive. I don't have to make the move. I don't have to make a darim. I don't have to change. A Jew can't sit still. If we, if we sit still, we lose. You have to take the war to him. And unasano is a word that goes backwards and forwards, spells unasano. Vav nun saf nun vav. Backwards is the same word. On one side of the word is avyecha, yitzhahara. On the other side of the word is yitke vavke, Hashem. If you go to war, Against the Yitzhahara, Akash Baruch Hu will give you You will own him, he won't own you. You will capture him. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Elul, going to war with the Yitzhahara, taking the first step. So, I think that the first step is to make sure that the weapon that we use on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and the Sashimei Tshuva is a weapon of power. There's a story, I've said it before, but I haven't said it in a while. There's a story, there's a hospital in Boston, very famous hospital where they do open heart surgery for, for little kids. And they're really, really known to do really hard operations on kids that are mamas just born and, 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 um, Pediatric surgery, heart surgery. And it's, it's impossible to get into that hospital. You should never need it. But the backlog of operations, because there's a surgeon there that never, ever lost a patient. He's like unbelievable. And he works on these teeny little hearts. So it's very hard to get in there. And there was his parents that the, their baby was born with a deformity, with deformed, with deformed heart. And he needed a major operation. And they, they couldn't get in there. And connections and this and that. They got an appointment with this famous doctor. They got an appointment. He looked at the chart. He looked at the baby. He said, okay, come back in a month. We're going to do the operation. They got in. They were so happy. They were so thankful because this guy never lost a, never lost a patient. And this was the best hospital. And nobody could get in. And through, through connections, they got in. So they bring the baby down um, a month later. And they're ready to do the surgery. It's a surgeon. He's got a team of 23 people, anesthesiologists, and the one that opens up the chest, the one that closes the chest. He just, he just works in the heart. That's all he does. And 
the parents, of course, are davening, and everything's going to be great. And they take the baby in, and they do the surgery. It's a six-hour surgery. Doctor comes out and says, perfect. Whatever I wanted to do, I got done. Close everything up. Regular life. He'll never need another surgery. He'll play ball. He'll run. He'll be like any other kid. We don't have to do this again. I fixed everything that even when the heart grows, they were so happy. They were so happy. Two, three hours later, the baby's coming out of the recovery room, and he starts to run a fever. And it happens after operations that people run fevers. And they start giving him antibiotics, and the fever's getting worse, and they're giving him more antibiotics. Within 24 hours, the baby dies. Crazy. Doctor never lost a child. Baby dies. Crazy high fever. They couldn't stop it. No matter what antibiotics they gave, they couldn't stop. Doctor goes storming into the sea at the head of the hospital, and he says, I'm done. I quit. Guy says, What do you mean you quit? You're the you're the hospital, you're the main guy. He says, I made up when I came out of medical school that if I ever lose a patient, I will no longer be a surgeon. I just lost my first patient. You need to find another surgeon. I am done. So he was losing, the guy who runs the hospital is losing his main man. He's losing his whole hospital. He said to him, one second, maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it's not your fault. Maybe somebody in your team who closed it up, whatever it was, anesthesiologist, maybe it's his fault. You need to gather your team. So he gathers all 23 people and he asked them, so there's a log, you have to be, you have to, the night before the surgery, you have to sleep 10 hours, uh, they do a blood test, make sure there's no alcohol, no drugs, because you, everyone has to be perfect. And they look through the logs of the whole 23, the women, the men, the nurses, the anesthesia, they look through the logs, everybody slept for 10 hours, all bloods are clean, no diseases, no bacteria, no nothing. So after he goes through everything, he's like, it's not the team, it was me, I'm done. So he goes to his room. He starts packing up his pictures, his wife's picture, his books. He's retiring. He's finished. He lost the kid. He's finished. He's sitting there. He's packing up his stuff. It's a knock on the door. Who is it? Maria. Maria. He starts thinking about all the people on his team. He says, I, don't, I don't have a Maria. There's no, there's no Maria on my team. Doctor, please open the door. I think the baby that died today was my fault. Oh, he hears that. He goes to the door, he opens the door. He sees this young lady standing there. He says, your fault, who are you? I've never, you're not in my surgery, I never saw you. Who are you? You're not a nurse, you're not an anesthesiologist. What are you talking about? She says, well, you don't really see me, but I always see you. He goes, what do you do? She says, "Before, in between the operations, I sterilize all the instruments that are used, the scalpel, everything that's used in the operation, I put in the hot box, I boil it, and I sterilize it. But doctor, someone did, someone did surgery yesterday, and this morning I was supposed to boil those tools, and as I was about to put it in the hot box, my phone rang, and it was my son, and he was, had problems, and I started talking to him, and I, I forgot, I, 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 and I panicked, when you started doing the operation and you asked for the tools, I didn't have time, so I just washed them and dried them. And I, I, I think there might have been bacteria from the last operation that was festering all night. And, and then you 
use those tools in this child's heart. I think that's why the antibiotics didn't work. I, I really think it was my fault. He says, you sure you didn't clean them? She goes, I didn't clean them. I just rinsed them. And the doctor said, well then, you killed the child, not me. So that's the story. Brett Wallace, why are you telling such a sad story? A kid died. Like, because no matter how good a surgeon you are, no matter how from you are, no matter how many mitzvahs you did, you're the best surgeon in the world. You're a tzaddik. You're a tzaddikista. But on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, you're doing surgery. You're cutting away all the bad things you did that year. You're cutting away all your averis. And the tool, girls, the tool that you use for the surgery is your mouth. You do tshuva, you daven, Yom Kippur a whole day. Shachris, Musif, Ne'ilah, Mincha, Achet, Vidui, Rosh Hashanah, and Sanatokev. It's all tefillah. So if the, no matter how big a tzaddikista you are, if your mouth is full of bacteria, is full of Lashon Hara, and Rechilas, and answering your parents back, I'm just saying, using your mouth for lying, nibble pad, whatever's coming out of your mouth that's not clean, so now the mouth that's doing the surgery on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is full of bacteria. So even though you're saying, Hashem Hashem, Al-Chet, Nesanatokev, you're saying all these holy prayers, the prayers are coming out with, they're sick, they're full of bacteria, they don't go to Shemayim, they die. So the most important thing before, which is Shani Kippur in the days of Elul, is sterilizing the tool. Is making sure that our Shani Kippur, the tool that you're using to do Shua, which is your mouth, is clean. How do you do that? By not talking Rosh Hashanah, by being careful what comes out of your mouth. By doing tshuva. But if we're going to talk Rosh Hashanah and then daven, it's not going to help. It's not going to work. So the first step you take towards Hashem, is to take on, I don't know if it's an hour not talking, three hours not talking. I have a friend, he took on three hours Rosh Hashanah, he's not going to talk from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. I'm like, thank you. Unless you're talking in your sleep. It's not like, that's not like a big deal. He says, no, it's a big deal, trust me. I'm on my phone. But, but the truth is, we have, to, we have to sterilize our mouth because on Hashem Kippur, that's what you use. And what other tool do we use, Rosh Hashem Kippur, besides our mouth? What else? Who's, who's awake tonight besides me? What's, what's something on Rosh Hashanah that you need to do that you don't do any other holiday? And how, do you, how do you hear the chauffeur? By listening. Right? So, the shofar has a big effect on your neshama. But if you listen to Lashon Hara and you listen to things you're not supposed to, then your other tool of listening is also Tameh. And the stuff, the shofar that comes into your heart doesn't wake you up. People are like, why doesn't it wake me up? Because like, you listen to Gaisha music. Because you listen to Lashon Hara. Because you listen to bad things about your parents. So, the, 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 the shofar is going through this tube, this tunnel, right, into your soul. But going down the tunnel, it's full of rock and roll and rap music and whatever you listen to and whatever things that you listen to, right? So, the tool's not clean. And, the most important tool, the most important tool when it comes to tshuva is what? Your heart, thank you. 
Because if you just lip sync, you just say words, and you don't mean it, your heart's not in it, it doesn't mean anything. So a person has to also work on his heart. Heart represents taifa. Things that you're not supposed to watch, you're not supposed to eat, you're not supposed to do. That's a person's taiva, comes from a person's heart. So we need to also, we need to, we need to clean all the tools. When the doctor works, he does stitches, he uses a scalpel, he uses other tools. There are many tools in the surgery. The heart, the mouth, and the ears, and of course the eyes, but the heart, the mouth, and the ears are one of the three main, major three tools that you're using when you're, when you're doing Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And those have to be cleansed. they got to be put in the hot box before Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. And that's what we have Elul for. We have, to, we have to sterilize our instruments that we're going to use. So you have to come to Hashem with a clean heart and a clean ear and a clean mouth. And then, you're a superstar, you're a surgeon, you cut away all your avarice, and you're clean, and there's no bacteria, and you live the next year. Because you're the best surgeon in the world. But you've got to have the tools that are clean. That's a very important opening up Elo. Now, I had to give Chizik this week on the phone to many, many girls who called into a certain line. I'm not going to get into what organization, whatever it was. And they asked for Chizik. And I really didn't know what to tell them because I was not a girl and I wasn't in their situation. Um, and it's very hard to give Chizik to someone who, if you didn't go through the situation, even though you say, I feel your pain, you don't feel your pain. That's ridiculous. Nobody feels anyone else's pain. Anyone who says that is ridiculous. If I take a needle right now, I stick it in my finger, you feel my pain? You know I'm in pain, it hurts, but your finger doesn't hurt you. You can't feel my pain. And even if you said, oh, Rabbi Wallenstein, I feel so bad for you, when you stick the needle in your finger, I'm going to stick the needle in my finger so I can feel your pain. Guess what? Your pain is going to be different than my pain because my finger is different than your finger and my sensitivities and my level of pain is different. So... Nobody can feel another person's pain. And when you tell that to someone, it upsets them. You can feel that someone else is in pain. You can't feel someone else's pain. So these girls, I definitely cannot feel their pain because the situation that they're in, I will never be in. I never was in. And it's just not going to be because I'm a guy. So I'm not going through that. So the people who ask me to give chizik, I'm like, I, I don't like giving chizik to things I'm not. I'm not, I don't, I don't feel. She said, no, no, the girls asked that you should give them chizik. So the first thing I got on the phone, it says, I don't know any of your pain. Number one, you need to know that. I'm not coming to you and saying, oh, I feel, I know what you feel like. I don't know what you feel like. Nobody can know what someone else feels like. It's ridiculous. Only Hashem knows what you feel like. Nobody can know what they, I know that you don't feel well, but I don't know what you feel like. Every headache, oh, I have a headache, I also have a headache. Your headache's different than my headache. And my ability to walk around with a headache is different than your ability to walk around. So, I want to tell you over what I told them. The chizik I gave them, because maybe someone out there, um, it'll give them chizik also. So first of all, one of the reasons that we get depressed and we get anxious and we get upset is because it's not a lack of emuna, but it is a, it's a lack of accepting that whatever Hashem does has a purpose, it has a reason, 
And the same way he does good, he does bad. I always tell people who are like, I can't believe it, this person died, this person had cancer, this, this, this person got divorced, what's with Hashem, everyone's in pain, no one's getting married, there's a crisis, then you get married, then you can't have kids, then you have kids, then they go off to Derek. Oh my God, Rabbi Wallace, what kind of world is this? I always tell them, do me a favor. Go to Maimonides, go to the maternity ward or whatever there, and go check out every baby that was born. Nobody ever said, oh my gosh, I went to Maimonides, Look at all those cute kids that were born today. Little girls, little boys. How come? How come? Look at everything that's growing in the world. We don't focus on the good. We only focus on the bad. People go to visit sick people in the hospital. People don't go to visit healthy people in the hospital. Why not? Why not? So, Amuna means... So, so the person who wanted me to speak said that I should tell all the girls that it's going to be okay. The, I was talking to girls who are not married who are much older. I should tell them, don't worry, you're going to get married one day. I'm like, that's not a Muna. That's not a Muna. First of all, then if you tell them that and they don't get married, so you're a liar. A Muna means that if I get married, it's great. If I don't get married, it's great. What are you talking about? How could you say that? Because if I believe it's Hashem, that I'm not married, then I believe it's Hashem if I am married. I believe in the same Hashem. And Muna doesn't mean that it's going to be alright in your head. It doesn't mean that you're going to get the, the business, that you're, going to, that you're going to get married, that you're going to have children. And Muna means that no matter what happens to me, I'm good. It's hard. It's hard, but that's what, really, that's what real Muna means. Muna means that whatever's going to happen, so I'm going to go tell them that for sure you're going to get married, you're going to have children, everything's going to be okay. That's not a Muna. It's making promises. And Muna means that even if it doesn't look good to you, if that's what's meant to be, good, babies being born and people dying, it's the same God. Not to one God kills people, one God, one God brings people to the world. It's the same God. It doesn't make a difference. So that, that's what real Muna is. It's very hard. It's not, I'm not telling you that it's an easy, it's not an easy thing. But something really bad happens, and you're like, it's Hashem, I'm good. It's very hard. When something good happens, it's very easy. It's not, it's not, but that's, that's what real moon is. I didn't get on the phone and say, like, everyone listening, I gave him a bracha, I hope you all will be married, and everything's going to be all right, and everything's going to be fantastic, and it's Hashem, it's going to be wonderful. But I didn't say it's going to happen, and if you don't get married. So what I told the girls is that, so what do you do? You're 40 years old, you're not married, you're 38, you're 41, what do you do? So he said, what, what, you need to, what you need to do is that in the moment that you are, you need to use what you are and the moment that you are for the good. So if you're a single girl, you can do a lot of chesed that married women can't do. And if you're a married woman, you can do a lot of chesed that a single girl can't do. You're a married woman, they need a mikvah lady. Right? At 12 o'clock at night, a single girl can't be a mikvah lady. She can be a mikvah lady. But if you're a single girl, you could sleep with a kid who has cancer overnight, so the mother who hasn't been home for three months can go home to her kids. But if you're married, you can't do that to your kids. It's not right. So you need to look at what position you are in life, where you're at, and use that for the good. And Mitchum, you will get married. But right now you're not. So don't waste 30, 20 years of being depressed. Use those 20 years, as long as you're single, to do things that single people can't. Mr. Shem, you will get married, but until then, and when you're married, you do things that married women can do that single women can't do. Live in that moment and understand that whatever moment Hashem is giving you, 
it's for you good. So then you need to look into that moment and say, what's good about this moment? Yosef HaTzadik was sold down to Mitzrayim. There was nothing good about it. His brother sold him down to Mitzrayim. But he looked around and he said, wow, this caravan always carries pitch and tar and it stinks. And this caravan happens to be full of spices. So I see Hashem, you didn't forget me. I'm being sold to Mitzrayim to the worst place, but I'm surrounded by spices. So at least I'm going to smell good. It sounds ridiculous. You're going to be a slave. But at least I'm going to smell good. Not bad. He found in the position that he was the good in it. So if you really believe in Hashem, no matter where you are, you'll find the good in it. And I have a story for you that is mind-boggling on this, on this focus. So there was a king and he used to love to go hunting. And he always took his doctor with him because hunting's dangerous. He hunted wild animals and you could be attacked. So he always had his doctor with him. One day he's flying with his horse trying to catch something and his finger got stuck in a, in a tree and he got cut very badly. And he pulls up to, next to the doctor and he's bleeding and he's a very deep cut and the doctor stitches it up and he turns to the doctor and says, Doctor, am I going to be okay? And the doctor says, Maybe yes, maybe no. I did my best. Okay. They come back three days later. It's all swollen and pussy. Comes back to the doctor. Look what happened to my finger. He says, oh, that's really bad. It's very pussy. Okay, I'm going to open it up, drain it. You have to put it in the salt water, bandage it up, whatever it is. So he did, 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 did. He says to the doctor, am I going to be okay? I said, I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. Three days later, his finger is so swollen that he's getting gangrene poisoning. And the doctor looks at him and says, oh my gosh, we have to take your finger off. If we're going to leave this finger on, your whole body is going to go to your heart. It's going to kill you. We have to take, what is it when you take, amputate. We have to amputate your finger. He says, what? You messed me up so bad? They amputate his finger. He wakes up. He's missing his finger. He turns to the doctor and says, you messed me up. Maybe yes, maybe no. Well, I'm going to tell you maybe yes. I am putting you into the worst dungeon. You're not going to have any food and you're going to die. Maybe yes, maybe no. And he puts the doctor in the dungeon to die. And the king, they cut his finger off. And the king, two days later, decides he's going to go hunting without a finger, without a doctor. And he goes hunting. And all of a sudden they get attacked by savages. And all the horses, all the men are spread out and the king's trying to get away. And they capture him. And this savage nation believed in human sacrifice. They took human beings and they, they killed them and burnt them to their idol. And now they had this king. So they took the king and they wrapped him up in all kinds of leaves. And they're carrying him to their altar, to the Mizbeach, to live sacrifice him, to kill him. And they're going up the steps like the Incas. I don't know if you know the Incas and the Aztecs. That's all I remember from school. But anyway, they're climbing up these steps and they were in Florida. And Peru, Florida, or whatever. And they're going up these steps and they're carrying them up and they were, everyone's praying down on the bottom and they're bringing this person and all of a sudden they bring him to the top to put him on the Mizbeach. They put him on the Mizbeach. The guy comes with his big sword and the priest, the high priest who's supposed to say the prayers, looks down at the, at the king and sees he's missing a finger. And he turns around and he says, we cannot bring a blemished sacrifice to our God. The guy's missing a finger. Not acceptable. Untie him, let him go. So they untie the, the, the king and he runs, he comes, goes back home. And the first thing he does is he runs to the, to the doctor in the prison. 
And he says to the doctor in the prison, come out, I love you, you saved my life, you're amazing, I am so sorry what I did to you that I put you in the prison. It's a fantastic story. And the doctor looks at the, at the king, he says, no, you got it all wrong. I can't thank you enough that you put me in the prison. And the king says, what are you talking about? I put you in the dungeon. He says, that's right. If you wouldn't have done that, I would have been on the hunting trip with you. And I have all ten fingers. So they would have sacrificed me. So thank you for putting me in the dungeon. So you got two guys here. You got a guy without a finger. And you got a guy in a dungeon. And they're both thanking each other. Which looked like the worst thing. This guy, the king, he lost his finger. This guy's in a dungeon. And each one of them saved the other one's life. It's a ridiculous story in Amuna. So you're looking at a story that looks terrible. And in the end, both of them saved each other's life. That, that's real Amuna. Real Amuna means that losing, I lost a finger, I'm sure it's good for me. Chasham, I'm in a dungeon, I'm sure it's good for me. And, and this is what I said on the phone conversation. I said, I can't answer you, I don't understand, and I don't have the answer, but for whatever reason, there's a reason. And if there's no reason, then he's not God. And if he's not God, he's not God for anything. Not for mitzvahs, not for Torah, not for anything. He's either, he's either everything, hakol yachol, so he's good, he's, what you think is good and bad, everything is good, but for birth, for death, for everything else, he's the same God. It's not separated, that's why it's Hashem Echad. He's one. And when you say Shema, Right? What are you saying? Shema Yisrael. Listen, everybody. You're making a statement. It's the only thing. Making a statement to the whole Klai Yisrael. Shema Yisrael. Hashem Elokeinu. Yudke Vavke. Hashem is our God. Now, Yudke Vavke is Rachamim. And Elokeinu is Din. So you're saying, Hashem Rachamim. Elokeinu, which is Din. Hashem is Mazel Tov. Elokeinu is Baruch Dayan Emes. Is the bad things that happen in a person's life. Hashem Echad, you need to know that it's all, it's all Rachamim. Hashem Echad, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, it's all one. It's all one. It's the same God that's Yudke Vavke is Elokeinu. Midas HaRachamim, Midas HaDin, it's all the same God. So whether the finger's off or you're in the dungeon, it's all the same God, and it's all, to, it's all for a reason. What's the reason why Allah doesn't know the reason? Moshe Rabbeinu didn't know the reason. He asked, he asked Hashem, Tzadik Varaloi, and Russia with Taiwan, Hashem said, I'm not answering you that question because I have, to, I have to destroy the whole world and start from the beginning. You have to see the whole thing. Gilgal, Tikkun, this, that. You have to see everything. And I'm not destroying the whole world. Well, a person needs to understand that. And this story, I think, is like, is the perfect story. What else I told them, which it happens to be Charlie Harari, called me. He wasn't by my daughter's wedding, so he had just come back from Israel. So he called me to say Mavlotov, but he didn't call me to say Mavlotov. He thought he did. I asked, I told him that, we're talking, he's speaking, I'm speaking, whatever it is, I'm speaking, I said, I'm speaking to a group of girls that are not married, that are, that are not young, and um, I don't really know what to tell them. I said, like, what do you, like, Hashem doesn't give you a test you can't handle? Come on, you don't want to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. All right, don't give me the test, I don't have to handle it. <laughs> People tell you that, oh, Hashem doesn't give you a test you can't handle. Thank you very much. A person's in pain, he just broke his leg, it's like, okay. You broke your leg, big deal. You know, you can't, nothing happens if you can't help. But meanwhile, my leg hurts. You're right, but my leg hurts. My head says yes, but my leg hurts. So, so I didn't know what to say. I really didn't know what to say. So I said to Charlie, I was talking to Charlie, I said, Charlie, I don't know, I said, Charlie, I don't know what to say. Like, what am I going to say? So he said to me the following. He said a beautiful part. He told me, if you go back 
first I was complaining about my week and my struggles with whatever I was struggling with. So he said, I said, it's, it's just too much for one person to carry. I don't usually talk like that, but Moshe Ben, I'm not Moshe Ben. He also, he also said it a few times, it's too much to carry. Um, he said the following, he says, every time you think, Rav Aaron Cutler said this, every, every time you think that it's too hard to carry, you should go back to Yaakov Avinu. Let's go back to Yaakov Avinu. When he came to the well that Rachel was at, and it says there was a big stone on the, there was a big stone on the well, right? And there were a bunch of shepherds there, and they weren't doing anything here. You know, Lavan said Yaakov, is everything okay with him? Everything is okay. And Rachel's coming with the, with the sheep, but she was coming early, and the stone that was on that bear, on that well, was so heavy that you needed all the shepherds to move it. They said to Yaakov, still very early. Um, he know he said to them, it's, it's, "You got a lot of work to do. Why don't you just feed your sheep?" We can't. Until all the shepherds come, we can't push that. And when they all come together, we'll roll the stone off the off the well. While they were speaking, Rachel Rachel came with the sign. Like she When Yaakov saw Rachel, the daughter of Lavan, and the sheep, the Yigash Yaakov, Yaakov approached, but Yagel is bear. And Yaakov himself, not twenty shepherds, rolled the stone from on top of the bear. And he and he gave them to drink. Says Rashi. The Yigash Yaakov a Yagel, Yaakov approached and rolled over the stone, which was too heavy for twenty shepherds to pull. It, it was like taking a cork out of a bottle. It was nothing. To tell you that all of a sudden he had this crazy strength. So, so Charlie was saying, he said, what? The trader wants to tell you that Yaakov was a muscle man? Who cares that he, pushed it, that he was able to push the boulder? He's not Asa. We're not talking about strength. Yaakov was the guy who sat and learned Torah all day. Who cares? He said to teach all of us that even though 20 others could not push that rock over, Yaakov saw the sheep, and he said, the sheep need to drink. And God gave him the kayak that he needed at that moment. Before that moment, he didn't, he, when they said to him, we can't push it, he didn't push it up, he didn't push it over. The Pusik says, when he saw Rachel's sheep and Rachel coming, so that moment that he needed the extra strength, God gave him the extra strength. So Charlie said Rabbi Wallerstein, when you need the extra strength, when a person needs that moment of extra strength, Hashem gives it to you. So if you're going through a hard time with something, don't worry about it. You think you can't carry so much on your shoulders? If you need to carry so much on your shoulders, God will give you the shoulders to carry it. It's a very important lesson in life. And that's why the Pasik tells us that he could not push the rock until he saw Rachel's sheep, until he needed that strength for that moment, and says Rashi, when, the, when he needed the strength for the moment, it was 
taking a cork out of a bottle. It was nothing. It was zero. So I told the girls, you need strength? Hashem will give you strength. And to end that phone conversation, I said the following. In Parshas Vayeshev, this is really, also Charlie said, I don't know who he said it over from. And I told him afterwards, you didn't call me to say Malatav, you think that's why you called me. Call me because I needed a good Vataira. He said the following, beautiful. What does it mean to have Atzlach? If I asked, if I asked you girls in the room or anyone who's listening to the Shir, what does it mean to have Atzlach? Translate Atzlach. What does Atzlach mean? What does it mean to be successful? What does it mean? If I ask you in life, when, when are you going to be considered successful? Right time, right place. But what did you do? What? What, 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 how, do we, how do we judge rich, money, children, covet, power? What, what, how do you translate success? The Torah, only once, only once in the Torah does it say, Ish Matzliach. Only one time in the Torah does it quote Hatzlacha. Where is that? And if the Torah quotes Hatzlacha somewhere, that means, that's what Hatzlacha means. Not how, many, how much money, not that you're married, that you have kids, that you finish Shas 49 times, because maybe you could have learned it 50 times. What is Hatzlacha? When you go over to a person, it would be an interesting thing for me, seminary is opening next week. Um, whoever wants to come to Benoth Spina, we still have room. That's our new seminary, of Girls. Know what to answer any person in the world. And I'll be curious. Edward has a question. It's a very special new school. With an amazing, talented, amazing, talented staff. We have uh, Rabbi Pesach Krohn's son is new. And we have Jackie B. Tone is new. Who is the teacher that was sitting here tonight? Davidoff. What? Davidoff. Mrs. Davidoff. And we have a bunch of new teachers. And it's, it's a very, very special, very, very special seminary. Still got a week if you want to join. Of course, our Teres Nava is there. Um, it's very different. We're teaching very different. I had a lot of requests for w- girls and women that are out of, they're married and out of seminary and out of everything who don't know how to answer a lot of the questions that are being sent them by family members today. Um, where they weren't taught, you know, atheism and, and, and tattoos and all the other liberal things that are going on in the world. And you have family members and they're like, you know, it's, 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 it's culture, it's beauty, it's freedom. And, they're like stuck. So this, this part of our teaching is going to be how to answer an atheist. What is wrong with a tattoo? Um, a lot of talk about psychology and, and different things that a person is going to learn about. What is true? What is not true? What is apicarsis? What is not apicarsis? So this is something very new. There's no school that's doing this. And we're opening next week. So whoever's interested, and that we've tried down the line or Nava to do a night program on this, maybe Skype it, maybe put it online. Because there's a lot of women that can't come here that need to know these answers. A lot of family members are never going off to Derek and they have questions. And if you don't know how to answer the question, then it becomes your question. Da, ma, no, as Misha says, what the answer not be curious? Because you'll become an happy curious. If someone asks you a question and you don't know the answer, then you begin to question the question. And if you don't know the answer, it begins to bite away at you. And you're like, maybe they are right. Maybe we are wrong. Maybe there's five million Muslims and there's only eight million Jews. Maybe they got it right. Maybe we don't have it wrong because you can fool 8 million people, but you can't fool 5 billion. And this is what's going on on the internet. And kids are reading this and, and people don't know how to answer. Like, you know what? They begin to have a little crack. And they're in Muna and they're be talking. And once that little crack 
like a fly. He can't eat your apple at all. Once you bite into your apple, he can eat your apple. So once there's a crack in your imuna, that's where they go in. So I think it's a very important school, a very important thing that we should do. Anyway, what is success? Yes. So what success? So that's very true, but it's a little bit. He really didn't only say I I because if you go, if you go to the dream, really what he said is the following. He depended on a human being to get him out of the. That was his avera out of the dungeon. But when they told him the dream, he said the following. He tells him the dream. There was Geffen, there was this. Let's go back. Why you look so bad? They said to him, we had a dream. God has the answers. Super nulli. So he did answer first that God has the answers. But then, he didn't give God credit after that. But his first answer to them was, if you want to look it up, it's in, it's in Perek Mem, um, plus success. And they said to him, we dreamt a dream, but there's no interpreter for it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Relate it to me if you please. So he did, he did say that Hashem has the answers, but then he relied on this guy to get him out. That was, that was wrong. But anyway, you happen to be right. Your answer is right. And I'll tell you why your answer is right. In Pasha Yeshev, it says the following. I'm sorry, in Pasha's... And yeah, it's in Pasha Yeshev. Hold on. So when he meets Potiphar, when he meets Potiphar, he says the following. But Yosef, who had Mitzrayim, Yosef came down to Mitzrayim, like Neil Potiphar's fifth power, shout out to Bochim, he bought him Yanash Me'elah. But he, Hashem, is Yosef. And Hashem was with Yosef. But he, Ish, Matzliach. The first time the Torah tells us that someone had success was Matzliach, was Yosef Atzadik. What was his Atzlacha, says the Pasuk? By Yom Adonav, Ki Hashem Itoi. Because God is with him. The Cholashu who also, whatever he does, Hashem Matzliach Biyodno. He has success. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Yosef was a huge Tamachacham. He says over a story. This man came to a big rebbe for a bracha about his kids. Rebbe says, tell me about your kids. He says, my oldest son is a Reish Kailo. He's the head of a yeshiva. He gives shiurim. He finished shas. He's a tzaddik. He's a gadol. Rebbe says, should be a mensch. Very nice. So what about your second son? He says, my second son? My second son? He is the richest guy. He's in real estate. He gives money to yeshivas, to kailos. 
to orphanage, to people who have no food. He's the biggest Baal Chesed. He goes, pshh, should be gazon. So what about your third son? He says, my third son, I'm a little bit embarrassed. My third son's a butler. A what? He's a butler. This is a butler. What, is it, what does he do? Well, he works for a rich man. When the man comes home, he takes his shoes and gives him his slippers. And then he gives him his pajamas. And then in the morning, he makes him eggs. And then he puts out his clothing. He's a butler. Psh, says the Rebbe. Should have Hatzlacha. This is the one that's Matzliach. So the, he looks at it, he says, Rebbe, I don't think you heard me. My oldest one is uh, the head of a kailo. My second one is very rich. This guy's a butler. He says, Psh, he's Mamish Matzliach. He says, Rebbe, what are you talking about? He says, Yosef HaTzadik was a God of Batayra. He learned by his father, right? He was his father's Tabad Muvot. Doesn't say Yosef was Matzliach. Yosef HaTzadik saved the world, became the richest man in the world. Torah doesn't say he's Matzliach. But when he's the butler Eved for Potiphar, the Torah says he's Matzliach. Seems to be that a butler is Matzliach. So the man said, I don't understand, Rebbe. I don't understand what you're saying. He's about Tyra, he's not Matzliach. He's, he's, he's rich, he's not Matzliach. He's a butler, he's Matzliach. So Chazal says, how did Potifa know that he always worked with Hashem, right? He says, Vayar Adonav, his, his master saw ki Hashem Ito, that Hashem was with him. How did he see that? So it says that anything that Yosef did, while he was working cleaning the toilets, he said, Baruch Hashem. Everything he did, he was, he was a butler, he was a, low, he was a slave. But whatever he did, he always said, Baruch Hashem. That's why the master knew that by Yosef, Hashem is always with him. He's always talking to Hashem. Yosef had a terrible job. He was a slave. He cleaned toilets. He took out the garbage. He was a slave. So what does the Pasuk mean? There was an Ishmatzliach. And the Teretz is that an Ishmatzliach, the Torah tells us, is a person that no matter where they are in life, in the most painful place, the words that are coming out of their mouth is Baruch Hashem. Thank you Hashem. Emirza Hashem. That's a person who's Matzliach. A person that has a relationship with, the, with God, that he's a, when he was learning, not an Ishmatzliach. When he was the richest guy in the world, not an Ishmatzliach. When he's a slave, and out of his mouth, he's always talking about Hashem, and that, he's, that everything that Hashem does, even though I'm cleaning toilets, and I was Yosef HaTzadik, and I had Senes Pasim, and I was the king, right? That's nothing. When I'm in the lowest place, as long as I'm connected to Hashem, and I say, Baruch Hashem, that's, what, that's what's called an Ishmatzliach, and that's what the Torah tells us. So I said to the girls on the phone, you think you're not married, and you're this old and you're not married, you're not Matzliach? Hatzlacha in the Torah is not whether you're married or rich or covered or beautiful or smart or valedictorian. That is not Matzliach in the Torah. Matzliach in the Torah is that no matter what position you are in life, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, it's Baruch Hashem. Emir Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. And a person who's like that is a person who's an Ish Aleichem, even a Goy. A potifa, a low life. He bought Yosef for the wrong reasons. And it goes further. And I'll end with this. 
And this Charlie didn't tell me, but I added to it. If you go to Pasha's Miketz, it's Neyudik. You really see this shot. If you look in Pasha's Miketz, like you said, all he said when he came out of the dungeon, everything he said to Paro, I don't know nothing, it's Hashem. I don't know nothing, it's Hashem. That's all he talked about. When he came out, he came out Rosh Hashanah, because there's a whole thing, they shaved and cut his hair, and how could he cut his hair on Rosh Hashanah? Because he had to go in front of the king. So he came out Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah, he made Hashem the Melech. And everywhere you look in the Pasuk, everywhere you look, you'll see that, that he, tells, he tells Paro, I don't know nothing here. Misha Paro, they took him out from the bar. I think Rashi says it was Rosh Hashanah. And they cut his hair, and they covered Hamalchus. But it says that it was Rosh Hashanah, right? And he called them, and he told them the dream. I can't do anything. Without Hashem, I can't answer you anything. So he tells them the dream, and again he says, everything's Hashem. It's one dream. It's what Hashem is going to do. And the whole time, all he talks about is Hashem. The whole time. So what happens, because he talks about Hashem, and he's in Ishmael Tzliah, what happens? Did you ever meet a man, this is Paro, the lowest of the low, and the Mitzvah, did you ever meet a man, that has the Spirit of God? Not Avay not, Dezerah, but the Spirit of God? After God told you all this, because Yosef the whole time was saying, I don't know anything without God. So the one that gave me all this information is God. There's nobody smarter than you are. This is a guy saying it. Because a person that out of his mouth, no matter what pain he's in, he came out of a dungeon, says that I know in my life the good and the bad and the ugly, everything that I go through is all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's an Ishmat Tzliach. And if he's an Ishmat Tzliach, all the people around him say, he's a man of God. And he's successful. Even though he was an Evan, but he's successful. And, and that's what I told the girls. I said, whatever you're going through, whatever it is, it has to say, it has to be Baruch Hashem. It has to be that I understand that he was an Evet. He came from the he was from the highest prince prince to the lowest place. And he said, It's all Hashem. And at the end of Pasha Bayhi, before you say Khazak, Khazak, the brothers came to him and said, You're gonna take revenge. He said, What revenge? It's all Hashem. You didn't you think you sold me? You didn't sell me. Hashem sold me. It was it was his idea. It's not I'm not angry at you, it has nothing to do with you. Once you understand that, Khazak Khazak bin Khazak, that gives you the strength to be able to do anything. Khazak Khazak bin Khazak, everyone should give us the koyach to come into Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, to have the cleanest tools, our heart, our mouth, our ears, our eyes, to use all these things on all five senses, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, our taste, we're eating things, we have simanim, to clean up the things that we ate that we shouldn't have eaten, and to use all five senses to make sure all five senses that Hashem gave us, all the operating tools, one's anesthesia, one's a scalpel, one's to sew you up, all of them are going to be sterilized, and we are going to be the surgeons, and we're going to cut out all the bad, and we're going to be the ones who are going to bring Mashiach. Thank you for coming. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.